I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere, you know the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Buntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. You're listening to Muses and Stuff. This is the podcast that's all about the dolls. They were the groupies, the wives, the girlfriends, and the muses who played such a huge role in rock and roll history by simply being themselves. They were sweet, sexy, brave, and powerful. They went after what and who they wanted, and they made no apologies. We are your hosts, Shanti and Lynx. Thanks for listening and enjoy the show. And we are rocking and rolling. Rocking and a rolling. Rocking and a rolling. Hi, Lynx. Hey, Shanti. How are you? I'm great. How are you? Lynx, I'm tired. <laughs> I know, right? This, this whole <laughs> week has just been insane and so much fun. But yeah, I'm still tired from Webfest and it's Tuesday. Yeah, not much sleep happened this past weekend. No. No. No, it was fun. It was great. It was a it was a the Webfest was everything that I think we could have imagined it to be plus more. Yeah, for sure. Uh meeting everyone, so many creative people there. Everyone just um really inspiring and supportive of each other yeah it was crazy because there were people from new york and la and australia it was an international fest and everybody was so funny and sweet and helpful and supportive of one another Mm -hmm. um and it was nice to see what what the hell everyone else is doing out there in creator land Mm -hmm. and everyone was like hey like if you come to la like look us up if you come to new york look us up like lots of uh friendly connections and it's just so nice when people who are starting to create support each other because we all we all need it agreed 
Um, speaking of no, not sleeping, mm-hmm. <laughs> um, we finally got to meet Alex. everybody over at the Never Sleeps yeah. Network. Mm-hmm. So it's a podcasting network in Toronto, and they have a bunch of really cool podcasts on their in their roster, including Ross Never Sleeps. Yes. Um, speech bubble. Yeah, with Aaron. It was funny because mm-hmm. I was talking to one of my really good friends, Melanie, out in PEI, and I was telling her about this network, and um, I said, "Yeah, they're like comedians and comic books." And um, she's like, "Oh, comic book podcast," and I've got to know what it is. And uh, I was like, "Speech bubble," and she was like, "Oh yeah, I've been listening to that for a long time." So she's like, "So it sounds like the true comic book fans are that's the podcast that's the that's comic the book podcast that they're listening to." Yeah, yeah, and Alex Ross from Ross Never Sleeps. Mm-hmm. We had a great conversation about music, and he's another. Uh, he's like, "You guys speak my language." Yeah, it's so nice when uh, other people are as excited as we are talking about music and our passions yeah and it was so sweet when people would come up to me and be like are you guys shanting links from muses and stuff and we're like yeah and they're like i recognize you from the internet that was great just a little taste of uh some fame there yeah <laughs> yeah we got interviewed at my first interview you've done it a couple times i've uh i've always been unable to join you <laughs> but that was great we had our first uh interview together so what was your favorite part what was your highlight of toronto webfest oh my god um i think just being there with you and uh being in the cn tower and meeting everyone and you looked so beautiful in that sparkly dress shanti was like the belle of the ball (laughs) i don't think anyone was more friendly or more happy or just you definitely like shined in that room thank you and i felt the same way about you and it was nice to have you by my side Mm -hmm. um but yeah, you you left a little bit earlier than I did that night. I had to wake <laughs> up at like six a.m. for uh, for my job, so that unfortunately cut the last night short for me. Well, I, not that short, but <laughs> yeah, I did not have to work the next day. So <laughs> I'd say my highlight of Webfest was sitting at a, a bar afterwards with. Um, a producer from New York, director from New York, a filmmaker from Australia, and um, the, I think, oh, and then the guy, oh, I forget what the name of the web series was, from LA, the the, the guy and his dad, the Joe, Spades? Joe, yeah, Spades, we're, I'm Joe and Joe, and Joe. Joe. Yeah. We're, we're Joe and Joe, <laughs> <laughs> and their brother, they were great, so, yeah, they were so lovely, so it was just me surrounded by, like, um, six or seven Mm-hmm. non-canadian men i was like in heaven i actually checked out um their their web series spades it's on youtube it was really good so good job joe good job joe oh yeah no it was um remember we had been talking like that day about rock and roll sometimes being a bit of a boys club and how we just enjoy being in the boys club mm-hmm. yeah it was that night it was the boys club yeah i felt right at home yeah but speaking of boys there was also a lot of girls there oh yeah so many the ones who actually won and like 
um, I can't remember her name, but this woman won Best Director, and she really shouted out. So that's the, my DJ? Yeah, all mm-hmm. the women. And it was, yeah, it was so great seeing so many women not only win, but just, we you know, we were chatting in the ladies' room, and everyone just so supportive, and we all have the same goal, you know, to champion women in film and media and music and it was really wonderful yeah i agree so good job dan (laughs) oh yeah dan spearin yeah oh man yeah you ran an incredible festival my friend yeah we had a lot of fun thank you thank you so much we felt like we won the entire time agreed um yeah i don't think I don't think if we actually had one, I could have felt any better. Like, yeah. I, like, I already felt so great just yeah. being there. So We need to stay humble for a little while longer. We still <laughs> got some work to do. <laughs> yeah, exactly. We're still young. Yep. Mm. <laughs> so today we are going to be... Oh, I sounded uh, like an East Coaster there. We are. We are going to be doing an episode for you called the actress in the song yeah yeah so we've done the boy in the song the girl in the song and these are girls in songs but they're actresses so faces you know but maybe you didn't know that they were inspiration to some awesome musicians as well yeah and i mean we do know that i think everybody in like the film industry now i think they're all just called actors yeah right but just for the sake of like yeah, just to We're, let you know, like, this one is specific to women, but yeah. we'll probably do an actor in a song one as well, eventually. But today we're just talking about some women. All some right. Some amazing women. So you're up first, right? Yes, I am. Okay, hit me. So my first wonderful, wonderful muse is Rosanna Arquette. Is it, all I want to do in the middle of the night is hold you tight? Oh, that's yeah, Rosanna. Yeah, yeah, right. it is. Rosanna. Well, that's one of them. Yes. So. Is that Toto? It is. Okay. Are you going to talk about that? I am. Okay, great. I'll I'll shut up. (laughs) So the Arquettes are well known for their roots in the movie business. But Rosanna, who's the eldest of the Arquette clan, you know, David, Patricia, Alexis, uh, her heart seems to lie in music. Her first and second husbands, Tony Greco and James Newton Howard, were both composers. And between those marriages, around 1981, to- uh, Rosanna began dating Toto keyboardist uh, Steve Procaro. Have you ever seen Yacht Rock? No, but you've mentioned it to me. We need, I need to watch to it. See this. We need we need to because there's a scene in Yacht Rock where he won't um stop writing well there's also like where he won't stop writing songs about sarah no more songs about sarah and then he tells him to get his dick out of his heart okay well we'll we'll check that out later so in 1983 while the band was hard at work preparing for their fourth album rosanna was there helping out where she could Uh, delivering beer and goodies throughout their late night sessions. And it was during this time that Steve Lukather, Lukather, sorry if I'm pronouncing it wrong, Toto's guitarist penned the song Rosanna. He says, it's not completely about her, but I met her at the time she was dating my best friend. I was looking for a title and was singing the chorus, Meet You All The Way. 
when she walked into the studio. She was cuter than ever, and I had a crush on her, and as she walked out, I just finished a line with Rosanna. So some of it's about her, and I will leave the rest to everyone's imagination. <laughs> so after Rosanna's second divorce, she lived with Peter Gabriel oh. for several years. Yes. So while he's never officially confirmed this, many believe the song In Your Eyes is written about Rosanna. Well, isn't that sweet? Yeah, beautiful song. Beautiful, beautiful. Uh, in 1989, the song was used in Cameron Crowe's Say Anything during the iconic scene where John Cusack holds up the boombox. Lynx is holding her hand his up girlfriend's in the I'm, <laughs> I'm holding up the boombox. So Cameron Crowe said that it was actually Rosanna that encouraged Peter to consider allowing the song to be used in the film. Um Rosanna may have stepped away from dating musicians. Her third marriage was to a restaurateur, and her fourth and current marriage is to an investment banker. But rock and roll is definitely still in her heart. In 2005, Rosanna directed a documentary called All We Are Saying, hmm. uh, where she interviewed over 50 musical artists, such as... Okay, give me a second here. Elvis Costello, Stevie Nicks, Steven Tyler, Red Hot Chili Peppers, Marilyn Manson, Patti Smith, Iggy Pop, Debbie Harry, Elton John, Peter Gabriel, Yoko Ono, and... You're pointing at me as a Tom Petty? It is. <laughs> <laughs> so with these musicians and many others, uh, she discussed what inspires them, what makes them tick, and how they balance their personal lives with their busy careers. Oh, I wonder what Tom said. Yeah, we've got to check that out. Okay, I will. Yeah, all we are saying... Nice. So Rosanna's my favorite Arquette, personally. Have you ever seen Desperately Seeking Susan? No. Oh, my God. Well, we got we to gotta remedy this. Okay. She's just so adorable, and she's paired really well with Madonna. They, they have a, they're a good fit. Also, she's in one of my favorite movies, probably my favorite Martin Scorsese film. It's called After Hours. I haven't seen that either. A lot of people don't know about this one most people when they think of scorsese they think of goodfellas the departed uh casino girl okay yeah i'm just i just rewatch yacht rock over and over and over again <laughs> but yeah rosanna i love her she's total rock and roll she's such a kick-ass lady and uh yeah okay good for her thank you so who's up next I'm going to start with Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin. And the reason why I wanted to do this one so much is because I was a huge Coldplay fan. I've listened to their first album, Parachutes, probably at least once every couple of months since I was 15 years old. Wow. Yeah. Um, like a couple of their songs are on like a yoga playlist that I have. I really love A Rush of Blood to the Head. And I loved Coldplay's Live 2003 DVD. And so what was awesome was it was a really, really awesome live show that they put on where I really think that like their musicianship was just, just totally up my alley. Um, and then they also had this like behind the scenes tour video DVD, which I lost and I've been trying to find and I've like put it on the internet been like, anybody have that? Crickets. Nothing. 
Um, so if anybody has the Coldplay Live 2003 DVD, I want the behind the scenes thing because I remember watching it and like looking uh, at all of the guys being like, they're so cute and they were still kind of innocent and, mm-hmm. you know, just like small. Just starting out. Yeah, small town boys. But apparently by the time this DVD came out in 2003, Gwyneth Paltrow and Chris Martin had already met. So they met in 2002 and they met backstage at a Coldplay concert. And the way that that happened was because when Chris Martin was in Los Angeles, he'd heard a rumor that Gwyneth was going to be at his show. And then when he found out that she wasn't there or that she hadn't showed up, one of the songs he had said, um, this one goes out to my girlfriend, Gwyneth Paltrow. And so there were rumors going around that they were dating before they had actually met. And so... Then they actually did meet, and then they toured around uh, Italy together, and um, yeah, they ended up being married for 10 years. So um, shortly after they met and they started touring together, Gwyneth's dad died, and uh, Chris Martin wrote the song Fix You and Swallowed in the Sea. So both of those albums are on, I think... I mean songs. Yeah, Sorry. I'm so tired. I'm so tired that this microphone is heavy right now. And it's like not even 7 o'clock and I'm in my jammies. Just in case anybody's wondering. Um, Yeah, so I think both of those songs are on the X and Y album. But one of my favorite songs that Coldplay does is called Moses. And... um, in 2003, I was playing the piano a lot back back in my family home. And so... I had a rush of blood to the head and I would play all of those songs, but Moses was never released on an album. They just put it out for Is their the live, live DVD. One? It was supposed to make, it was supposed to go on a rush of blood to the head and it just didn't make the cut. Um, but he says it's about falling in love with the most beautiful woman in the world. Um, yeah. And it's, I really, I really, really like that song. And apparently he wrote other songs that are called Magic and Another's Arms, which are breakup songs. But I wasn't listening to Coldplay at that point because I stopped listening after Viva La Vida. And I didn't really listen to Viva La Vida that much. But And their son's name is Moses, right? Yeah. Named after, named after the, the song. song. <laughs> um, I heard that, I think on their latest album, there's another song that Gwyneth, it's called Everglow. I have no idea. I'm pretty sure that's the song. And I heard that she not only does like backing vocals on it, but she also might have written some of the lyrics. Oh, Jesus. Okay. And it was like after they had broken up, but I think they separated on good terms. Good. And yeah, they got together and did that song. Good. Well, I mean, as Pamela DeBar says, like... Hug your ex dolls. Uh, especially when you have kids. I mean, yeah, it's important to the children to see that their parents are still caring of each other. And speaking of actresses, um, I thought it was really an interesting pairing when I saw that Chris Martin was dating Jennifer Lawrence. Oh, yeah. She's sort of like a young Gwyneth in a way where they were both in their 20s sort of the hollywood's darling and mm. got like all the oscar kind of scripts yeah you, i can i can see a similarity there are they still together no no i don't think so mm. nope anyways your turn cool well my next one is 
all about Britt Eklund. She's cool. We follow her on Instagram. She's just gorgeous. And she's in some really awesome films. Uh, there's one called The Wicker Man. If you haven't seen it, don't watch the Nicolas Cage one. <laughs> Unless you want to But Nicolas like, Cage is so hot right now. People love you him. You mean, okay. I was like, do you mean physically or just... <laughs> no, just that people really like him. <laughs> I was about to... Uh, freak out there for <laughs> but yeah um nick cage is great in some stuff the remake of the wicker man is not one of them okay anyway so in 1975 sparks were flying when joan collins introduced rod stewart to swedish beauty Britt eklund the pair would only be together for a few years, but Britt's influence on Rod and his career was an important one. He says, I was lazy. When Britt came along, she said, you're wasting your talent. She gave me a kick in the ass. Britt also inspired Rod to change up his image. At this time, he was sort of lost. He was not really hot anymore. He was just about to kind of get into like the solo career that we knew of him in like the late 70s and 80s speaking of rod stewart and style or look um one of my favorite things was when noel fielding would always joke that he is the spawn of rod stewart and a crow yeah <laughs> that's about right <laughs> so Britt taught him all about makeup and encouraged him to wear satin trousers that were so tight he had to wear her undies on stage to, and I quote Britt Eklund here, keep the package in place. <laughs> so the pair lived together for two years, and Britt put aside her own career to stay close to Rod. She said, meeting Rod and falling in love, so madly in love, was amazing. We were absolutely obsessed with each other. So in 19- Yeah, I heard he was a dick. We all know Rod's a dick. <laughs> That's just general knowledge. So in 1976, when things were still good, uh, Rod released Tonight's the Night, which features a French-speaking Brit Eklund at the end. Oh. And a year later, he put out You're In My Heart, which was a very loving tribute. Here are some of the lyrics. My love for you is immeasurable. My respect for you immense. Your ageless, timeless, lace and fineness. Your beauty and elegance. Your rhapsody, a comedy, a symphony and a play. Your every love song ever written. But honey, what do you see in me? You're in my heart. You're in my soul. You'll be my breath till I grow old. You're my lover. You're my best friend. You're in my soul. Which is very sweet. But unfortunately, Rod's womanizing ways was about to put an end to their relationship. Britt learned from her ex, George Hamilton, that his wife was leaving him for Rod. Okay. Rod was unfaithful and he didn't get another chance. I told him because I was very much in love with him that if he was unfaithful, that would be the end of our relationship. He couldn't help himself. He was like a kid in a candy store. So Britt would end up filing a $12 million palimony suit, which I believe was one of the first of its kind. Uh, she actually ended up regretting doing that, and they settled out of court. Um, what does that mean? That means they weren't married, but she still oh, okay. felt their time together 
she she wanted money for that. Okay. Um, well, Britt has said that Rod has never apologized for his infidelity. Uh, Rod has publicly stated, I am desperately ashamed of the way I ended relationships. So I think that's just like a blanket statement <laughs> about every girlfriend he ever screwed over. Yeah. So that's about as best as Brit's gotten in the way of an apology. And as for the woman that he cheated on Brit with, Alana Hamilton, Rod and her would end up marrying in 1979, and they had two children before divorcing in 1984. Okie dokie. There it is. There it is. There it is. So who's next? We've got Carrie Fisher and Paul Simon. I love these two. They're just so adorable. They're both just the tiniest, mm-hmm. cutest people. So, I mean, I'm not going to disagree with you that they're uh, tiny and adorable, but, like, I can picture Gwyneth and Chris, like, getting it on. I can picture Britt and Rod <laughs> getting it on. I don't really want to picture Carrie and Paul. That's true, but I don't want like, to picture Paul with anyone. Hmm. He is adorable, though. He is. So. And a great musician. Yeah. Yeah. No doubt about that. So, like Gwyneth and Chris, he was married to Carrie for, well, not almost 10, but for six years they were together. Mm -hmm. They met in 1978. And they had said that even after that they separated, that they held each other in high affection. But. Their marriage in 1983 was a last-ditch effort to save their relationship. She battled with substance abuse issues and her undiagnosed bipolar disorder. Mm-hmm. And um, afterwards, this this joke isn't mine. I got it from the book that I read. Um, people would meanly comment that it was the third most traumatic divorce after... Um, after those to his first wife, Peggy Harper, and his second, Art Garfunkel. (laughs) So, um, he'd written, so Paul Simon had written a song about Harper called Train in the Distance, and he had written a breakup song about Art Garfunkel called So Long, Frank Lloyd Wright. And then the song that he wrote about Carrie was Hearts and Bones. And, um... Which at the time, like that album with that with that song on it did not sell well. But now it's regarded as one of his finest love songs. And he says that it was um, like about the arc of a love affair waiting to be restored. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So Graceland came out after that. Yeah. That was the next release. And mm-hmm. so he wasn't. Uh, yeah. That album didn't do very well until it had gotten revisited later. And um, so Carrie Fisher is like, or was an incredible writer. And um, she wrote something about Paul Simon, about their time together. And it was called Surrender the Pink. Yep. She actually mentions um, their relationship in her other books as well, Wishful Drinking a little bit. Have you read it? Yeah. I've read all of her. Well, I haven't read Surrender the Pink. I've read all of her uh, books that are like memoir yeah. What yeah. could what does surrender the pink mean? Why are you looking at me like I that? Don't know. I don't <laughs> <laughs> Okay. Um All right. Paul also wrote a song about her called She Moves On. Oh, okay. I, I believe Carrie mentions that in one of her books as well. That sounds familiar. Yeah. 
they were adorable and carrie's amazing if you, everyone should check out her books wishful drinking is just so hilarious and she did like a special um on tv like hbo for it mm-hmm. so for anyone who doesn't want to read the book for some strange reason you can watch the special though i suggest you do both uh and she talks about how in that song um there's that line like 100 or 1,000 and one half Jews go wherever. I can't remember the line now. But she said that was always a joke because Carrie Fisher's half Jewish. Mm-hmm. So she's like the one half Jew mm. in, in the song. <laughs> Cute. Yeah. I saw Paul Simon uh, like last year. Wait, didn't you stand beside him? I did. He's you very, stood beside very him. Very short. Lynx stood beside Paul Simon. Just saying it. Yeah. He's a tiny, tiny man, but a great talent. <laughs> Amazing. Yes. Okay, who have you got next? So, this one is a really interesting. I hope most people don't know about it. I'm going to tell you about a song called Beware of Young Girls. Uh-oh. So, Dory and Andre Previn met while they were both working in the music department at MGM. In 1959, they were married, and the pair would collaborate on many Hollywood songs, two of which earned them Oscar nominations. But by the mid-60s, Andre was working as a classical music composer, and Dory continued writing her songs, and she won a third Oscar nomination of her own. Uh, Things were going good, but in 1968, Dory's world just fell apart. While working in... Uh, While working with the London Symphony Orchestra, a 39-year-old Andre began an affair with 23-year-old Mia Farrow. Okay. Yes. So Mia was no stranger to older men. She had just divorced Frank Sinatra, who was 30 years her senior. Wow. Yeah. And soon after they began their affair, Mia discovered she was pregnant with twins. (laughs) Wait, if you had to date somebody 10 years younger or 10 years older, what would be more your style? Older. Absolutely. Mm. I mean, maybe that that would would change over time. But at the moment, it's definitely... uh, I would prefer an older because I know what 20-year-old men are like. And I'm I'm done with that. (laughs) So, for Dory... This affair was... I'm so glad you didn't ask me the question. <laughs> <laughs> I could tell by your face. I was like... Mm. Anyway, for Dory, this was too much to handle. And she ended up in a psychiatric hospital. And she had to undergo electric shock therapy. Oh, shit. Yeah. Uh, her doctors had encouraged her to put her feelings to paper, though, and in 1970, the same year that Mia and Andre were married, Dory released Beware of Young Girls. Now, I'm going to say some of these lyrics because they're incredible. And they, okay. really, they really lay it out for you. Beware of young girls who come to the door, wistful and pale, of twenty and four, delivering daisies with delicate hands. Beware of young girls, too often they crave to cry out a wedding and dance on a grave. She was my friend, my friend. My friend, she was invited to my house, oh yes, and she was. And though she knew my love was true and no ordinary thing, she admired my wedding ring. Hmm. She was my friend, my friend. I thought her motives were sincere. Oh, yes, I did. 
but ah this lass it came to pass had a dark and different plan she admired my own sweet man she brought me pain but i'm wise enough to say she will leave him one thoughtless day she'll just leave him and go away nice yeah so as dory predicted me and andre did end up divorcing in 1979 uh, the pair had three biological children and would adopt three more. Um, Andre Previn is actually Sunyi's adopted father. Uh, a lot of people think Woody Allen is. Mm-hmm. That's who Woody Allen is right. together with now. Still? Wo- yep. Woody was never her adopted father. He was always just Mia's husband. Uh, her dad was Andre. Um, you can hear people just like listening that and that like screaming like, like still not right yeah well of course but uh a little a slightly less creepy very slightly yeah sure um in mia's 1997 memoir what falls away she said andre conducted a discreet separate life for some years but didn't seek a divorce until he met me. Dory experienced things quite differently and made that clear publicly through her songs. I'm sorry to have contributed to her pain. That's pretty much all she wrote about Dory in that book. Uh, Dory continued to make music and she remarried in 1984 and uh, her and Andre actually collaborated once more in 1997 before her death in 2002. But in 2008, she was asked uh, if she thought that Mia had ever listened to the song. And Dory said, with her ego, of <sighs> course she did. She's probably got the record framed in her bathroom. Oh. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, yeah. Mia Farrow. There you go. My friend Simeon started writing a song about me last time I was in London with her. And she never finished it. And she just messaged me the other day saying, I'm finishing it now. Oh, better late than never. Yeah. Thank, thank you. I'm going to frame it. Put it up in my bathroom. So our next one, we're, we're gonna jumping talk, a few decades. Yeah, we're going to talk about Evan Rachel Wood and Marilyn Manson. Yeah. So I got my information just straight up from an article in Rolling Stone. And um, they met at a party at the Chateau Marmont in 2006 when she was 18 and he was 18 years older. Okay. So that's right, folks. If I did my math correctly, he was 36. Um, so he w- had been married to Dita Von Teese. Mm-hmm. Wait. Love her. Or after? No, it was before. before. After. Okay, before. Mm-hmm. Um, and he was also married to Rose McGowan or dated Rose they McGowan. Dated. Yeah. Do you remember like that MTV Video Awards where she Absolutely. showed up with him and she was just wearing... That like stringy dress. Oh. That was incredible. That was an incredible. I love Rose McGowan. Yeah, she's such a badass. Um, and she gets more badass like with every passing year. That's true. She's such a feminist, like, fuck you, Hollywood. I love her. Yep. So Evan Rachel Wood said, I met somebody that promised freedom and expression and no judgment. And apparently she played a Lolita-like character in Manson's racy 2007 music video for Heart-Shaped Glasses. And um, she showed up wearing heart-shaped glasses to kind of like... To his house, yeah. Yeah. Um, 
So despite criticism over their 18-year difference, she personally felt that the relationship with him was worth pursuing. And she said, I was craving danger and excitement. I looked at my mother one day and said, Mom, I'm going to get on this tour bus for eight months and see the world and have a crazy journey and find myself. And if people aren't okay with that, I'm sorry, but I can't live my life for other people. Yes. (laughs) Exactly. (laughs) So... She got um, quite a bit of backlash for dating him, but she says it made her stronger. She says, most teenagers are searching for identity. And I was thrown into a situation where I was supposed to have that already figured out. Then you're demonized for figuring it out and getting messy. People would call me a whore when I walked down the street and you just can't be hurt by that. That's awful. What's wrong with people? Just for dating someone? Yeah. I guess so. That's crazy. Um, So they dated on and off uh, for four years. They got engaged in 2010. He proposed on stage in Paris, but they split for good in 2011. And she says she's got uh, no regrets. Mm -hmm. She said, I wouldn't trade any of our relationship. I appreciate everything he taught me. I just don't think we were right for each other. It's interesting because before she dated Manson, she dated... Um, the British actor Jamie Bell and they had like a cute teenage romance Mm, well maybe that's why people went apeshit yes Um, she went from like we're not used to this yes but the interesting thing is she went back to him after Manson and they had a kid together and got married oh I think they're divorced now though but I really liked her in Across the Universe I just really like that movie I love her in Westworld the new series she's really she's really great Okay. And she did a film last year called Into the Forest with Ellen Page. And it was really, uh, it was really wonderful as well. Very, uh, very uh, moving. Should I watch it tonight after? Cause I'm yeah, just, go for I'm it. I'm just going to There's some right content. That it's, a, it's a little hard to watch at certain scenes, but overall, it's a very beautiful experience. Okay. Yeah. Okay. So who you got next? I have... Is this your last one? It's my second last one. Okay. Well, it's my last relationship one. Okay. So this one is all about Lenny Kravitz and Lisa Bonet. Mm. They are... So sexy. Incredibly sexy. Their daughter? So sexy. Exactly. It's a whole family of just sexiness. Mm. So when Lenny met Lisa at a concert in 1986, the attraction was immediate. It was love at first sight for me. I knew it was the real deal. Lisa was a household name at this point, thanks to her role as Denise Huxtable in the Cosby show. But Lenny, uh, who was then going by the name Romeo Blue, had yet to make his mark. So That's a stupid name. Yeah. Romeo Blue. It's uh... there's only one Romeo <laughs> forever in my life, and that's Leonardo DiCaprio in <laughs> Romeo and Juliet, circa 1998. Well, that hadn't happened yet, so okay. Lenny was trying it out. Didn't work for him though. Lisa says it was interesting when we first met, finding out about each other. Our backgrounds were so similar. When I told him my mom was Jewish and he said, so is my dad, I thought that was both unusual and enchanting. I felt like, okay, here's someone who really knows how it is and I trusted him a little more with my feelings and let him inside a little more than I ordinarily would have. 
So Lisa's influence on Lenny was immediate. He says, we both just had something that was incredibly magic. When I started hanging out with her is when I uh, started writing Let Love Roll. So within a year on Lisa's 20th birthday. Oh, they were young. Yeah. I think she was 20. He was 24, I think. Wow. The pair eloped in Vegas on her 20th birthday. And a year after that, their daughter, Zoe Kravitz, was born. So one year later, in 1989, uh, Lenny made his musical debut with the album Let Love Rule. As Lenny Kravitz, he did the smart thing and dropped the Romeo Blue. Mm. And... On Let Love Rule, it actually features two songs that were written by Lisa. She oh. wrote one on her own, and I think she collaborated with Lenny on another. But by 1991, the pair were on rocky ground. We were too young. We were babies. Our marriage was not based in reality, Lenny has stated. And at 27, his wandering eye was causing problems. And after reports of an affair between Lenny and Madonna hit the press, this was around uh, Madonna's Justify My Love. And Lenny actually wrote that song for her. What? Yeah. I didn't know that. Yeah. So there are rumors floating around about them together. And it was around this time that Lisa decided to call it quits. Uh, Lenny's infidelities were really devastating for her. In the same week she announced their separation, she was also fired from the Cosby show. Apparently, she was just so overwhelmed with her personal relationships that she just wasn't performing, you know, the way she should and showing up on time and all of that. And they let her go. Um, It didn't take long for Kravitz to realize his mistakes, and he channeled all of those feelings into his second album, Mama Said. He says, that album is a big haze. Lisa and I had split, and it was a very heavy time. That whole album was about her and dedicated to her. The album has many beautiful songs, including Stand By Your Woman, More Than Anything in This World, and Lenny's first top 10 Billboard hit, It Ain't Over Till It's Over. (laughs) But for Lisa, it was over, (laughs) and she soon found love with a yoga instructor named Brian Kest. That's what I keep saying, like, I'm done with rock stars, give me a yogi. Yeah. But I mean, I'm just I'm just saying that, and it's not happening. <laughs> I know yoga is really uh, a, a strong force in Lisa's life. Oh yeah, you can tell. Um, and in 2005, she met the also incredibly, incredibly gorgeous Jason Momoa. And in 2007, they married, and they have had two kids. They're still together. And Lenny has never remarried, but he's been doing pretty fine for himself. He's since been linked to Kylie Minogue, Vanessa Paradis, Natalie Imbruglia, Kate Moss, Adriana Lima, and Nicole Kidman, just to name a few. Mm. Just to name a few babes. Yes. So That's good. Yeah. I don't think I mentioned Evan Rachel Wood and Marilyn Manson, the song that he wrote about her. Yeah, Heart Shaped Glasses. Oh, I thought she was just in the video. It was no, actually that's about, about her. them. Yeah. Okay. Got it. Did he write another one about her? No. Not that I know of. <laughs> <Okay>. <clears throat> yeah, I think he said that she she came to his house 
wearing the Lolita glasses and that inspired. Yes. Uh, okay. All of that. That's it. Yes. So. Thanks for clearing that up. I love this next one. Okay, Bridget Bardot, mm-hmm. Brigitte Bardot, and Serge Gainsbourg. So I love these two, and I have been pretty much obsessed with them since high school. My friend Zoe and I would plaster their pictures all over our binders. Bonnie and Clyde. Yeah. Bonnie and Clyde. Yes. Woo woo! <laughs> they were the best. Yeah. And so was him and Jane Bergen. That whole, that whole trio was just. Uh, yeah fuck yeah they were they're so hot and like i love the pictures of like all of them together and like if you look behind you there's a picture of bridget bardot kissing jane birkin yeah but we're getting ahead of ourselves here so in late 1967 serge gainsbourg had a short but ardent love affair with bridget bardot and he dedicated the song and album initials bb to her so it's a 1968 album and it was recorded between 1965 and 1968 at three different London studios, except for Bonnie and Clyde, which was recorded in Paris. So the French edition of Rolling Stone magazine named this album the 14th greatest French rock album out of 100. And it's a really great album. It's got a lot oh, of really so good, good songs on it's it. So, so comic good. strip. I love yeah. the video for that, too. Yes. Yeah. They did um, a couple videos. Everyone should look them up. They're incredible. Yeah. And then uh, there's a bunch of really weird, um, really weird songs on it, like Ford Mustang, where she just goes like, Ford Mustang, <laughs> and uh, Kia In and Kia Out, and she's like, Kia In, Kia Out, Kia Out. <laughs> <laughs> um, so yeah, I did, men- I definitely did mention um Jane Birkin in my notes because he fell in love with younger English singer and actress Jane Birkin. There's been a lot of age gaps in in this episode so far. So have you ever seen the movie Blow Up? Of course. Okay, yeah, it's so good. It's one of my favorites. And so they met while they shot the film Slogan and this relationship lasted over a decade. And what I think is really cool is Jane and Bridget's movie together, Don Juan, or if Don Juan were a woman, and Jane Birkin said, I accepted immediately just to be in bed with Bardo. Mm -hmm. And so I was at work and I was just looking, I just typed in um, Bridget Bardo and Jane Birkin and then all of a sudden popped up my screen and it's just like them naked together. And I'm like, oh my God, like, yes, but I need to wait till I get home. They're both so beautiful. Brigitte is like the perfect French goddess and Jane is like the English rose. Yeah. They really Oh, you nailed it. Yeah. And I think And then they're with this like troll of a man who is like, but also like oh, apparently when Jane Birkin and Serge Gainsbourg went out for the first time, he brought her to um in the article they called it a transvestite club and he ended up just passing out cold in a booth. (laughs) (laughs) And do you know how Jane first started um doing music with Serge no because they both did and then they both yeah. ended up singing and doing music with him and um there I think it's the song Je t'aime moi non plus yeah yeah uh he actually wrote that for Brigitte to sing with him right. but Brigitte's husband or boyfriend at the time was like uh no like you're not doing this and so he needed to get a replacement and he asked Jane to do it 
And I think Jane was like, I'm not a singer. Like, I can't do this. But she was so scared that some other gorgeous woman would do it. Yeah. That she just agreed to do it anyway. Yeah. So, yeah. That's how they started. I love it. I know. Okay. And then my bonus has has to do with them. So do you want me to do my bonus now? And then you'll finish with yours? Because we might not want to end on this note. Okay, go for it. Okay, so um, Jane Birkin and Serge Gainsbourg had a daughter together named Lou. Charlotte. Oh, well, yeah. Them, her too. So Charlotte Gainsbourg. I love and her. And so do I. I love her music. And the movies that she's made have been pretty fearless. Yeah. Um, so Nymphomaniac, Antichrist, yes. yep. um, Melancholia, I'm Not There. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, she was also Jane Eyre in the 90s version. Oh, yeah. Okay. For uh, less uh, intense, if you want to check that one out. <laughs> <laughs> so my little bonus is that Charlotte and her father, Serge, oh, yep. recorded a song together when Charlotte was 13 ans. She was 13 years old. This is a little weird. Yeah. And the name of that song <laughs> is called Lemon Incest. Yep. Another weird thing to be Googling at work. <laughs> so I've got some of the lyrics here. Mm-hmm. Okay. Incest de citron. Lemon incest. Je t'aime, t'aime, je t'aime plus que tout. So I love you, I love you, I love you more than any of the others. Papa, papa. I think I don't need to explain what papa <laughs> means in French, but it means dad, daddy, father. Um... Tes baisers sont si doux, incest de citron, lemon incest. Tes baisers sont si doux means um, your kisses are so soft. Yeah. And it like very uh, sultry. Je of course it is. <laughs> Je t'aime plus que tout, papa, papa. L'amour que nous ne ferons jamais ensemble. Now that one is weird. So l'amour que nous ne ferons jamais ensemble. So the love that we will never make together. Et le plus beau, le rare, le plus troublante is the most beautiful, the most rare, and the most troubling. Le plus pur, le plus enivrante. So the most, um, the most pure and the most most intoxicating delicieuse enfant delicious child ma chère et mon sang um like my my sweet my beloved and and my blood oh mon bébé mon âme my baby my soul and in the video she's like wearing underwear and they're on a bed it's really creepy it's yeah but i'm no there's no but yeah it's really creepy yeah uh, <laughs> different time different place but it's uh, it's Serge Gainsbourg right like yeah. he was so inappropriate in so many oh, yeah. ways like there's a, I had a picture of Serge and Jane Birkin and his his hand is over Jane's face like this and her tongue is sticking out like this oh god and I had that on my binder in high school and my teacher walked by and even my French teacher was like, that's a bit much. Because <laughs> <laughs> the French, French are weird, you yeah. know, like yeah. in that way. Yeah. And I'm sure they purposely did it to get... Provoke? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. All of Serge's songs, like you said, are sexual in some sort of way. Yeah. I forget if it's Jane Birkin that's having an orgasm in one of their songs. Yes, it is. It is. 
Yeah. And um, Jane's other daughter, Lou Dillon, is also a musician and just as gorgeous as... No way. I, have not, I didn't even know about her. Really. Yeah. She's, she's beautiful. Check her out. I love Charlotte's like breathy. So she's got the perfect accent because mm-hmm. she's a mix between like British and yeah, French. and then she just has this like really soft spoken, almost whispery way of doing yeah. things. Oh, it's so sexy. And she's like she's the epitome of both her mother and father. Like she's got the best genes out of both of them, and she's just stunning. She's yeah. I'm not gonna watch the Ellen Page uh, movie when you leave. I'm just gonna look at pictures oh actually there's a great there's a great film that she's in and touch myself um (laughs) (laughs) uh check out the science of sleep for charlotte uh oh i have seen that one yeah yeah and what's his name the cute guy gail garcia yes that's a good movie yeah Yeah. and it's directed by michelle gondry who did uh eternal sunshine of the spotless mind that's a great one it's a it's a beautiful film so if you also, you know, melancholia and nymphomania, if those are too intense, science of sleep, you'll love it. So we'll end on a lighter, well, <laughs> maybe not like on lighter, a lighter, but end on a less, less incestuous note. Yes. So the last one is a tribute song and it's Candle in the Wind. Mm. So while many remember this song most as the beautiful tribute Elton John sang at Princess Diana's Memorial in 1997, it was actually penned by Bernie Taupin years earlier about another iconic blonde, Marilyn Monroe. Released in 1974 on the album Goodbye Yellow Brick Road. Such a good Fuck, album. Fuck, that's a good album. Such a good album. It's my brother Patrick's favorite album. Yeah. Mine's Honky Chateau, but I do love that one. Cool. Um, some assume Topin is a huge Marilyn fan, but he says this isn't so. He says the song could just as easily have been about James Dean, Jim Morrison, or Kurt Cobain. Basically, anybody who died young and sort of became this iconic picture of Dorian Gray where they simply stopped aging. It's a beauty frozen in time. I'm fascinated with that concept. It's really about how fame affects the man and woman in the street. That whole adulation thing and the fanaticism of fandom. It's pretty freaky how people really believe these people are different from us. So Elton was very close with Princess Diana and when she was killed in a car accident in 1997, he asked Topin to change the lyrics to make it a tribute for his friend. Uh, like Marilyn, Diana died at the young age of 36 after spending many years under the harsh scrutiny of the public eye. And this new version was a massive hit, and it earned Elton a Grammy for Best Male Pop Vocal Performance, and it sold over 33 million copies worldwide. There's some argument over if it's the best-selling single ever. Um, White Christmas is is like the number one, but they kind of shift depending on where you try to find your sources. Mm-hmm. Um the beautiful thing was all the proceeds from these this 33 million copies, they were donated to the Princess of Wales Memorial Fund and given to Diana's charities. That's good. Yeah. So so at the beginning of the song, instead of singing goodbye, Norma Jean, what does he sing? It's um like goodbye, England's Rose. 
okay, it doesn't flow exactly like Norma Jean. Yeah. And but- obviously they had to change a lot of the lyrics. Um, I'm, I've made a Spotify playlist. Fantastic. Of all the songs Thank that you. we've mentioned today. Are you going to put Lemon Incest on there? Oh, yeah. yeah. Okay. <laughs> Be warned, it's there. So if you're listening to it at work. Uh, papa, Papa. <laughs> you might want to put the headphones on for that one. And just don't look up any pictures. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, you'll you can check out. Every song that we've mentioned, uh, the different versions, um, yeah, they're all going to be up there. And anyone who is just discovering this, we have other Spotify playlists for previous episodes. Not every episode yet, but we're working on it. Amazing. Thanks for doing that. Yeah, no problem. Okay, so... That's a wrap, isn't it? That's it, yeah. Okay, everybody. Um, well, find the Spotify. Like, yeah, Muses and, and Stuff, stuff yeah. on Spotify. And you just look that, uh, you just put that into the internet now. You just go into Google and you just put Muses and Stuff into the internet. And our Instagram pops up and our Facebook and our Twitter and They're everything. all there. It's all there. So mm-hmm. let us know. Did we miss anything? Um, any of these songs your favorite? Mm. Um, yeah. If you want to hear... Another Muse story soon. Let us know. We're trying to pick out our summer. Oh, it's going to be a good summer, baby. All right. We hope you learn something new. Yeah. 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 Um, Thank you so much for listening, everybody. Yeah, thank you. Um, Take care. We love you. We love you. And And (laughs) we love you. Thanks again to everyone (laughs) at uh, TO Web Fest. Yeah, that was amazing. We love you guys. We'll see you all soon. Oh, right next week we got something really awesome just the beginning oh my god next you'll find out it's ridiculous it's an interview it's, it's an interview. interview i'm scared shitless i know me too we're so excited <laughs> okay it's gonna be great though. <laughs> all right goodbye everybody bye Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you, and let's make season two even more memorable together.